Welcome back to the Think Education podcast, another local one for, for me, uh, and it's a pleasure to be joined by, uh, well, former student uh, and now a local colleague uh, in the UAE, uh, joined today by Dr. Sandra Baroudi, who is an expert in leadership and management in education. Um, she's a journal reviewer, lecturer, trainer, research consultant, uh, with extensive experience in academia here in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Sandra holds a PhD in leadership and management and policy and education from British University in Dubai, so my my uh, employer. Um, and I have fond memories of sitting in uh, in Sandra's Viva um, and seeing her, you know, complete the, the process. Uh, but now, I mean, Dr. Baroudi is a, an assistant professor in the College of Interdisciplinary Studies at Zayed University in Dubai here in the UAE. Um, uh, now, I could keep going and going and going. Sandra, she's a certified associate for the Blackboard Academy. She's a fellow for advanced higher education. She's a certified peer reviewer for online courses from Quality Matters, which is a, you know, an, an enormous topic of, of value and, and how we look at online teaching and, and assessment. Um, in addition, somehow she finds the time to be the co-founder and CEO of Eduvate, which we're going to talk about uh, in more detail which is a professional development and training institute for both educators and professionals, uh, with a particular focus of hers in curriculum design, leadership and policies. Sandra's a fellow for the Education Endowment Foundation in the UK and the Queen Rania Foundation in Jordan. And this is, I'm really interested in talking about this, where she led the contextualization of the teaching and learning toolkit into the Arab world context. And that's something that um, for those of us in the field of international higher education, you know, how we contextualize and how we translate um, and make our work relevant for different uh, communities um, and groups of people, I think is enormously important. And particularly in her work, uh, Dr. Brody seeks to provide evidence-based data and best practices for leaders and educators in the Arab world uh, with the aim of supporting their decisions to promote innovative and quality education. I'm sure I've left many things out, but that gives you, I think, a, a pretty good understanding of both the breadth and the depth of Sandra's expertise uh, and, uh, and interests. And so, Sandra, it's a, it's a great pleasure to, to have you on the, the podcast and, and you know, um, for you giving the time to, to come and talk about, about this. Um, I'm wondering Thank if... You. Oh, no you're, no, you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Um, I'm wondering to start, maybe could you could you give us a little bit of a of a sort of more context about your your work and the mission of of Eduvate um, for for those that aren't perhaps familiar with um, what it it does and and its central purpose. Yeah, sure. So uh, actually, my partner and I we have a total of let's say twenty five years of experience in the education sector, and we also have this shared vision uh, and this passion into really being a uh, changing, uh, making a difference actually in the education uh, system. Uh, that is why we came up with Eduvate, which is uh, a word that combines education and elevates. We want to elevate education. We want to empower people with knowledge and skills, uh, enabling them to make informed decisions to pursue their passion and achieve their full potential. So um, our company, Eduvate, the mission of it is uh, basically to provide 
educators and professionals and the corporate sector as well with opportunities for personal growth and career advancement and a higher quality of life. And that is why uh, our training programs are all contextualized. And this is what you just mentioned now about contextualizing the teaching and learning toolkit. So from this experience that I gained by being uh, the research fellow for uh, Queen Rania Foundation and Education Endowment Foundation, it really it enriched my experience in the contextualization uh, field, let's say. So uh, when we thought about uh, designing the training courses or programs, First of all, we, we needed to see uh, what are the programs that would really address the local uh, needs, the challenges that are faced here in the region, uh, and specifically in the UAE. So, for instance, uh, the employability. Now, you know, the Ministry of Education is talking a lot about how we can increase employability rate for uh, employees, for Emirati students specifically, in the private sector. Uh, there, when you go to uh, local, uh, to uh, public companies and government entities, uh, you see lots of Emiratis, but you're not, you do not see this number as well in the private sector. So uh, that is why uh, at Eduvate, for instance, we have a training course that would prepare teachers to train skills in students. And these skills are directly related to uh, to having uh, to, to, to preparing them with uh, skills that they would need at their future careers, such as, let's say, problem solving, such as critical uh, and analytical thinking, um, creativity and innovation. Uh, communication skills, uh, social and emotional learning and uh, well-being. Mm. So uh, many of these skills, uh, we, we saw that these skills are really needed in this context. And uh, that is why we, we, uh, we designed courses that uh, are aimed directly to train these skills in students. So we want to prepare students starting from the school level, moving on to the higher education, so that when they graduate, they enter the workforce really prepared and ready. Um, another thing for contextualizing, uh, not only to address the local needs, but also to be culturally relevant. So, for instance, the content of the training courses are directly related, so they are relatable and they are meaningful to the context of the UAE. And uh, by doing this, we are increasing the sense of belonging and engagement among participants in our training course. Um, uh, also respecting the language. So, uh, you know, here the Arabic language. So uh, having the content material also in Arabic and having trainers that are bilingual, mm -hmm is another thing that could also lead to contextualization. And this is what I also did for the teaching and learning toolkit. So I translated the content and material to Arabic, but not, it's not only about translating, assessing what is actually needed in the region, what could be applicable to us, what are the challenges that teachers and learners face and trying to see from the teaching and learning toolkit the strengths that would be most needed and applicable to our context. And then 
what I did next is uh, going through the literature that is mostly published in this area, summarizing the literature that addresses this specific trend, translating it, and uh, also talking with people in the field. So for instance, I went to Jordan and I met with the Ministry of Education in Jordan. I met with teachers, head of teachers, and I listened to their needs, um, to the challenges, to the opportunities that they have as well. Mm-hmm. And this gave me a comprehensive idea about when I want to write and some synthesize the liter- literature that I, that I read about a specific trend, uh, also trying to take their voices into consideration and come up with a with a paragraph with a section that addresses their needs and that is really meaningful to them that they would benefit from it and that educational and policy leaders would also uh, take it into consideration when they want to make their decisions and policies in education. Okay, so, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, on the one hand, it's a very simple approach, right? In, in the sense that, well, why don't we just ask people, right? Why don't we find out what actually matters to, to them? And yet, um, it's, a, it's not perhaps done as much as it should be, right? I mean, a lot of training and a lot of material is taken. We have this whole best practice issue. Oh, well, if it works there, we'll just take it and put it into my country and therefore it will, it will obviously work. Um, and that's flawed for no. many, 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 many reasons, right? Um, can I ask, so, you know, in addition, you've got, as you said, you know, you're, you're using um, a shared language, um, you're, which is creating different access points to the information and learning. You're making the examples, you know, culturally and contextually relevant. You're, you're linking it to the practical examples um, and, and, and realities of the, of the world in which the people um, live. Can I ask, what, what's, what's the greatest challenge in contextualizing something? Um, I mean, obviously, it's difficult enough to translate, as you say, the simple words, but to translate and, and contextualize the meaning and the values. I mean, what, what do you, what is the greatest challenge in this process for you? I mean, perhaps there's not just one, but, you know, I'm just, I'm curious um, how you, you navigate this. Yeah, so, you know, reflecting back to when I contextualized the teaching and learning toolkit, the biggest challenge there was selection of the strands, you know, it, this toolkit has a total of 21 or 24 strands. And selecting the strands that would uh, make an impact here was the most challenging part because, you know, why this trend, for instance, worldwide in the US, in Europe is, uh, let, let's say, let, let, I'll give a specific example. Let's say the school uniform, right? So the school uniform is a strand in this toolkit. However, to what extent this trend is really uh, needed here and is applicable and it would make make an impact because uh, in our schools, um, uh, the school uniform is a must. We don't have an option not to wear a school uniform, right? right? So, and and trying to convince uh, the, uh, the, the publisher, the author of this toolkit, to convince him on why this trend uh, is not really needed in this context and shouldn't be contextualized for us uh, was a bit challenging, you know. Mm. Uh, yeah, trying to find, you know, this middle ground between what is 
worldwide there and it makes sense, right? But it doesn't really make sense for us or this is not the priority for us. Right. There are other priorities. For instance, addressing students' behavior. So when, when you go to schools, whether in the UAE or in Jordan or in Lebanon or in any Arab countries, specifically the public schools that are hosting uh, refugees, for instance, right? So, and, and I went there, I visited schools in Jordan and in Lebanon that they have refugees. You see the, 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 the student behavior, you see the extent that teachers are really struggling from this. Mm. So this was a main priority and that is why I wanted to address this trend, the first one. Right. We want to see what are the best practices, how can we help teachers to find strategies that are based on evidence but that are also contextually applicable that they can adopt in their own classroom within the minimal, the minimal resources that they have so that they can promote uh, a better and a more positive student behavior. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, and, I mean, it makes perfect sense. And, and I, I very much like the point you, know, you meant at the end there within limited resources, because that's, that's quite often the key when we, we move ideas around, right? That we don't have access to perhaps the resources where the toolkit was created initially. Right? We, we don't have, you know, that sort of flexibility, um, whether it's in terms of sort of economic resources, teacher training, teacher capability, physical, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I think it's really important to be able to... And, you know, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Chris, but you know something, even when we have the resources, for instance, here in the UAE, you know, the Ministry of Education, they provide teachers at the end of every uh, semester with PDs, right? Yes. However, in one of the studies that, you know, I participated in, I was uh, responsible to collect data. So I did these focus groups with teachers mm -hmm. at public schools uh, from different emirates here. And when sitting with them, I saw this, uh, you know, this uh, theme, this common theme that is uh, repetitive in their discussion, which is, okay, we are being provided with PDs and with trainers. We attend these PDs. And they are bringing us the best consultant and trainers from the UK, from the US, from, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but we are not really benefiting from them. And when I asked them why, teachers and head teachers, they answered that it is not relevant to us. Yeah. So when, when this uh, trainer coming from the US, for instance, coming to the UAE, he or she, they, they really, they don't know the, the culture here, the content, the language, the challenges, and so on. So they don't know the context. While they're bringing really the best practices uh, and the most recent uh, lit, uh, uh, strategies and, you know, practices and so on. But it's not relevant to teachers. And the second thing was that their voices is not taken into consideration. So they don't, uh, the, 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 really the training and PD that they need are not being offered. Uh, and recently I went to a school in Sharjah. I met with a principal. It is a very, it, it's a, uh, a, a school uh, for charity. You know, it's a non-profit school. However, the principal of uh, she told me that uh, in two years, she was able to increase the rating of her school from acceptable to good. And when I asked her, how did you do that? You know, and with the very limited resources that they have, 
She said that I sit with the teachers many times during the week, whether formal or informal occasions, you know, even when having lunch or, you know, and she listens to them. Mm. She listens to what they need, what type of PD they need, what are the challenges, each teacher, you know, in her own classroom. Even she knows the students by name. Right. Uh, you know, she knows the teachers, their, their uh, personal issues, you know, she supports them. So being this type of leader and, you know, this what we call maybe servant leadership or yeah, yeah. also transformation leadership. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it is really effective. And that is why when we want to really offer teachers with PD, it is important to at least listen to what they need. So to maybe having a survey or sitting with them in focus groups and uh, having this quality data, not only quantity data, to see how we can best support them if we really want to advance the education sector here. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, isn't it? Because the PD, you know, professional development is is can be hugely beneficial and can also feel like a waste of time, right? If it's not properly targeted or, or not relevant. And I think you're absolutely right. An understanding of, of what people need um, and how we best can support it within context is obviously enormously important. It's funny, actually, because, you know, your comment about, or sorry, your reflection about the, the Sharjah principle um, is a very, very nice segue into one of the other topics I, I wanted to, to ask you about. I, I read the, the recent piece that you, you posted in, in LinkedIn um, about uh, female leadership skills and particularly why it's important um, at school levels um, and, and how we, you know, we should be thinking about development as a, you know, a sustainable, embedded, long-term approach rather than, you know, I suppose a conversation yeah. we have, you know, in professional world later on in life. And I, I was wondering if you, if you could talk a, a little bit more about that sort of that, that piece that you did and, and, you know, the, the reflection that went into that um, uh, and particularly how you, you know, you approach this from a, a, a research or a practical perspective um, uh, in the development of, well, the understanding of leadership skills within um, uh, schools, um, and then how you how you develop that, particularly with the the, the female focus that you you've written about. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, this goes back even to my uh, PhD dissertation. It was about uh, mentoring, but specifically on how mentoring would develop and improve uh, uh, leadership skills. And uh, the, the sample that was actually Emirati female students in higher education. And since then, I have this passion about uh, seeing uh, what research uh, has to say about this globally and what can we do here as researchers uh, in the Arab region uh, uh, to to find evidence, you know, to find scientific evidence on how we can improve uh, leadership skills in females. Um, here, you know, here the, the government in, in the UAE, they're, they're doing really a good job about this and uh, they're strategically supporting uh, the empowerment of female leadership at all levels. So now you see females in the ministry, females in all government entities, all uh, many of them uh, holding leadership positions. Uh, the UAE, they even uh, has this Young Leaders uh, program uh, that they initiated in 2017. And even in 2014, they, uh, they established... Um, uh, UAE uh, leadership school 
uh, I think Mohammed bin Rashid uh, School for Leadership. And I can see in where I work right now at Zaid University, many of female staff, they are taking part in this leadership program. Uh, and they are, uh, and that this program is really preparing them with knowledge, but also with practices and skills uh, and empowerment to motivation to take on this uh, leadership roles. And, uh, you know, um, recently also I was uh, watching a TED lecture given by Dr. Um, oh my God, what's her name? Uh, Olstead, family name Olstead. Kanda Olstead, her family name. She was saying something really interesting that caught my attention about female leadership and how in the US she participated in a study. Um, and the study, the aim of the study was to explore um, female students, a college student, so ages between 18 to 22 years old, on uh, the extent that they are ready to, or, or they believe in their leadership abilities. And when she, when they collected the data, they found out that while these female college students, they actually practice leadership skills, they, 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 they know what is leadership about and they, they are practicing uh, some of the leadership roles. They do not believe in their abilities. You know, when they will graduate, they will be holding leadership positions. Hmm. And it's called leadership efficacy. So they, they do not have confidence about their leadership efficacy and their leadership beliefs, uh, their, their beliefs that they want to be uh, or they, they will be leader at some point in the future. And this shows uh, really at the younger age that gender bias and the low confidence that these female college students, they have. And this is somehow similar to our context. So uh, I, I teach I teach Emirati female students, and uh, I see how they interact inside the classroom. And um, you know, and, and I see that this really there is a need and there is a big gap that we need to fill here into empowering them motivating them, increasing their self-confidence. Um, and, and that is why in this article uh, that I published in this uh, magazine, uh, I suggested several strategies that we can actually implement. Uh, for example, the peer mentoring program that my PhD dissertation was all about and the benefits of having female students enrolled in the peer mentoring program. And the benefit that it has not only to mentors, but also to mentees. Uh, pardon, I mean, not only to mentees, but also to mentors themselves. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right? So, you know, not only this would improve their academic performance, because mentors would be, uh, you know, sharing knowledge and recalling information and uh, having this in-depth knowledge about the subject. Uh, so it's not only about their academic career and academic performance for both of them, but also about the leadership skills that they will gain. Uh, so they will 
have this uh, confidence increased. They will uh, be, um, their, their communication skills would increase. Their, uh, they will be building stronger relationship and friendship within the university or even within the school if we implement these programs at the school level. Um, they will really grow and, and results of the PhD that I published showed that they, they demonstrated maturity, but also, uh, and teaching skills, of course, but also sense of patience. Hmm. They said that now we are more patient, you know, because we are teaching others. So we, we gained this trait, trait or skill that we didn't have before. And this is actually a teacher skill. We as teachers, we are patient. Sure, sure, yeah. So, and if you be a successful leader, you have to have the skill. You have to be patient. You have to have strong communication skills and social skills. You have to be adaptable and flexible. So the parent mentoring program also taught these two skills to students. Time management, uh, organization skills. Uh, and all of them, they are also career-related skills. Mm. So at the same time, would be not only targeting their leadership skills, but also letting them practice some work-related skills, even at the university level. Uh, and and at, at Zayed University, there is a program that we're currently uh, doing at the College of Interdisciplinary Studies. It's an amazing program and... Uh, uh, I, I should be researching about its uh, its impact. You know, it's it's really good to see science, the scientific evidence for it. We call it the partnership challenge. So it's a program where students they are invited to work hand in hand with uh, local companies here in the UAE uh, to participate in solving a real problem that the company has. Right. So they work all semester, all right? They work all semester. We divide them in groups, okay? Each group work with different company. The companies suggest a real problem that they are facing, and they assign one or two mentors from that company to work hand-in-hand -hand with our students. And uh, at the end of the semester, they should have come up with a solution that would actually work and present the solution to the company and to us so that we grade them and uh, they can pass the semester. So this is also another opportunity that we can engage students with that could also increase their leadership skills and exposure and they could also build network. Mm. Um, I mean, it's... Which is really... Yeah, I, it's sorry, sorry I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I just, that point you made about networks, I thought was, was really valuable because yeah. you... You know the, the comparison you made, or you know the case you you, you gave from the the TEDx talk with the American uh, example. You know, one thing is having the capability and the understanding of the skills, mm. and the other is having the ability to to see yourself in that role. And and in many societies around yeah. the world, that there are barriers yeah. in the way for women because there are, are there are either you're not taught that in school, you don't see enough women in positions of authority. So it's it's about representation right it's it's mm. about understanding oh you know mm. this is an achievable goal because somebody else has done it first yeah. um and so do you think that that obviously it's a combined approach but is is that 
is that central to the peer mentoring? It's that ability to be, to see somebody who has, who has been before you and, and to, to make it, you know, it evident. But presumably, as you say, that has to be supported by, you know, actual sort of policies and regulations and access points, right? Because there's, there's still going to be, to be barriers. And one of the things I thought was really interesting, what struck me as you were talking is, obviously I, I immediately thought of the word patronage. But patronage is, comes from patron, which, you know, is the, the masculine, you know, what in England we would call like yeah. the old boys network, right? Whereas, you know, yeah. to create the matronage, right, to create the female network is, is, yeah. is so important because it provides, as you say, this sort of network and this, and this peer association. And it's really interesting to, to learn the impact that peer mentoring has on the mentors. Yeah. Because you assume it impacts the mentees, right? That's the point of mentoring, that the, the junior member learns from the experience of the yeah. senior member. But I was really interested when you said that it also impacts the mentor. Um, do, you have, yes. do you have anecdotes or evidence about what, what that impact has, has been? Um, yeah, yeah. And not only anecdotal evidence, but... Uh, you know, this was uh, backed up by scientific evidence uh, and it impacted them, uh, as I said, not only on their academic achievements, so uh, it showed that it improved their, their grades increased. Actually, they learned new things, they valued education. And uh, here in, in our context, that English language actually uh, was developed and, you know, um, and gaining in-depth knowledge of material, but they also gain some uh, personal development and the career-related skills that I talked about. And in terms of personal development, uh, mentors reported that uh, uh, they, they, they were able to now make better informed decisions, which is again linked to leadership skills and taking initiative. So uh, being involved in these peer mentoring programs, you know, uh, for instance, here at ZU, I see, we call them PALS, okay, I see them, you know, walking really confidently in campus, having these badges, <coughs> PALS badges. Any event we have at the university, you see them uh, at the uh, front of the event, you know, <coughs> allowing people in, uh, participating in public speaking and presenting, uh, going to conferences, whether locally or uh, abroad. So all of these opportunities that the, the Sphere Mentoring Program offers, uh, offers to mentors, uh, they're also contributing positively to their personality, uh, to their leadership skills, to becoming more open, more adaptable, uh, to gain skills that really they would not have gained them in any other opportunity uh, that is currently existing, at, at least at the university level. And uh, one thing, uh, Chris, here you mentioned about, uh, you know, uh, patronage and this is male. Uh, really, and uh, this made me remember uh, one time I was doing a study um, with uh, female leaders from eight Arab countries. Uh, this was uh, during COVID, uh, so it was published in 2022. And I was interested to see, you know, how, uh, what are the practices, the leadership practices that help female educational leaders to sustain during COVID? Okay, yeah. And 
when I was doing these interviews, of course, they were uh, online, sure. right? Uh, because participants were from Saudi Arabia, Oman, Kuwait, Bahrain, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, and the UAE. So um, they were saying, uh, and all of them, because uh, they were, you know, speaking in Arabic, and in Arabic, when they were referring to leaders, they were saying he. Right. So using always... Uh, the masculine version, sure. Yeah, like... Exactly. And this struck me, but you are a leader and you just said that your role model is a female leader. Yeah. Why, why are they still referring to leader as a he? Mm. And so we need to change really these mind models, these mindsets. Yeah, yeah. That leaders, females, not only males. And... I mean, that's... You uh, know, yesterday... Sorry, no, go on. Yesterday, yeah? You said? You said? Yeah, sorry. Yesterday, I was asking my daughter. She's uh, uh, 11 years old. So I told her, Sophie, do you think yourself uh, as a leader? She said, yes, I am. I told her, why do you think? She said, because I help everyone. And uh, I do things that I like. I participate in football i am in the team of basketball and i also help others hmm. so you know that the the when when we start uh, at the at this young age talking about leadership skills with our children with our students and the female ones and telling them that yes you are a leader you help others you you help your colleague uh, you did so and so. Uh, you are taking a lead in this uh, football team. You passed the ball. Yep. You did so and so. You know, you, you distributed things. You're not only keeping everything to yourself. So, uh, making this awareness about leadership concepts, skills, and practices at a young age, yep. this would help them change their mindset and mind model. Absolutely. I mean, it's. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you before, but what I was going to say was it was. It's so interesting, particularly when a language has. A, a gender pronoun, you know, or, or has a, you know, has a, it becomes almost, it's just the word. And often you're not consciously necessarily using it as the particular gender construct. It's just, oh yeah, that's the word that means leader. But because the mm. word that means leader has a masculine in this case, you know, therefore mm. our identification of leader is even subconsciously masculine. And so it's, it's kind of a, yes. I, I, um, my wife told me about a really interesting TED talk um, uh, and I'll, I'll link it through, but they were talking about how um, different um, European languages refer to concepts. So, you know, a bridge in, in one language is masculine and therefore it's bridges are described yeah. as being, you know, strong and, you know, um, you know robust and, and secure. And, yeah. and in another language, it's feminine. And so it's described, when you describe a bridge, it yeah. has, you know, beautiful and elegant and you know supportive and and this sort of way that languages process reality um but it's your daughter's definition i mean it's fantastic because i don't think if you went back to what the traditional view of leadership i don't think you'd necessarily in the top five would be help people i i don't mm. think you know our traditional views of leadership are they're, they're, they're more um you know, directional focus, strength, you know, but, but actually, you know, the example you gave of the Sharjah principle, 
that that understand and and indeed the example you gave of contextualization you know understanding of people's needs understanding their context as best we can with clearly limited you know but that ability to therefore affect change that is relevant and sustainable cannot be seen as a weakness Right? It can't be lumped in with a, oh, well, that's compassionate or, or that's mothering or, or that's caring. Why, why can't that be a definition yeah. of leadership? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And passing the ball. What a, great, what a great way to think about, you know, I lead my team by making my team better. Well, yes. That's brilliant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was, go- I was going to ask you um, how, how we can create these sort of opportunities for growth, because obviously the, there's the programs that you've mentioned, hugely valuable in, in the sense that of, of what they give to the participants, right? You know, in terms of both training, awareness, you know, um, confidence, etc. But the ability to apply that in the, in the world, right? That's, I guess that's the, the next uh, hurdle, um, which is where you go from this buildup of energy to, and you know, and competence to, well, what am I going to do with it, right? Um, and I'm wondering. Obviously, we could just ask your daughter to talk to them, and that would clearly, clearly help uh, some of these issues. But I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how you, within both your academic and and professional understanding, how can we go about creating more opportunities for, for growth um, within um, uh, female leadership development. Yeah, you know, uh, just, uh, most of the studies that I read about this topic, uh, they implied for having policies right, okay. that would empower, empower leadership. So, for example, at the school, having a policy that would empower teacher leadership. Okay, yeah. All right, so for example, example having teachers participate in committees, in task force. Uh, asking them to give feedback, to make decisions, to find solutions. Um, you know, when when I was doing the teaching and learning, uh, contextualizing the teaching and learning toolkit, I visited the UK and I visited one of the schools. And uh, we were talking with the principal and vice principal there and some of the teachers. And they were saying that uh, they noticed that they, there was a problem uh, the school is facing about uh, students' behavior. So what they did is that the head and the vice, uh, the, the principal and vice principal, they invited teachers. They sat on a round table. They put the uh, teaching and learning toolkit in front of them, you know, so that they uh, know what's the scientific evidence, what the best practices that are supported by science, by evidence. And then <clears throat> together, they came up with the policy that is uh, that would help them inside their classroom to improve students' behavior. Okay. So uh, teachers need to feel that they are valued, empowered, and they have voice in shaping education. That is why by having policies, and this is, you know, yes, it's a top-down approach, but Sometimes this is how yeah. the way, yeah. you know, uh, things happen. So having policies that would uh, empower teachers uh, or even at the university, having policies that would, for instance, uh, empower students, female students to participate in certain programs, and, 
certain committees and listen to them. Uh, why, why just uh, having faculty being member of teaching and learning committee? Why not also inviting female students to be part of this committee? We are discussing teaching and learning needs and challenges. And who best than our students to tell that to tell us about their challenges, right? Yeah, yeah. But we don't see that. We don't see students uh, in these committees. Students' voices uh, actually being heard and being uh, implemented. You know. Uh, so, so yeah. Uh, this is one way to do this. Um, there are also multiple ways. So, for instance, uh, and uh, what, what I did uh, also at Nigeria University, I think last year, I invited a female leader. She, uh, Her Excellency Amal Afifi, she is the Secretary General of the Khalifa Award for Education. She is well known here, you know, especially for Emirati uh, females. They all follow her, you know, on social media and so on. Uh -huh. So I, I invited her for a talk session at uh, ZU. Uh, specifically, I asked her to uh, talk about her challenges as a female leader and how she overcame these challenges and uh, how can she inspire our female students. And mm. uh, she came and most of the female students attended the session and you can't imagine the feedback that we got from female students about this session, the extent that they find this lady as a role model and the extent that they were inspired by the session and they felt that they are empowered and that yes, they can actually be in the leadership position because this is their role model and she is in a leadership position. So it is actually also applicable for them, that it is possible for them. So now they, they believe more, they, they, and hopefully this had a little bit changed their minds that yeah, yeah. or mind models about yeah, no, I mean, uh, absolutely right. It's it's that seeing yourself in somebody um, that has done this and that is doing this, right? And and that's enormously powerful because then it becomes a, a realistic goal. Um, it's still a yeah. difficult thing to achieve, obviously, but at least, as you say, that mindset becomes a, oh, why not me? You know? Exactly. Um Oh, I mean, this has been this has been um, fascinating, and obviously we could we could talk about this for forever. But um, I just wanted to 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 thank you um, very much because I mean it, it's been it's been nice to catch up with you anyway. It's been you know obviously a while since we we had a, a chance to, to talk, but it's it's also really nice I think to to get particularly a professional's perspective um, uh, and. It sounds trite when I say, but also a professional woman's perspective, you know, on on the world in which you are you are living. Um, precisely because, as you said, context is 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 critical, right? It's understanding the the issues yeah. within the dynamics or the the construct or the community or, or whatever we want to call it, um, and and then trying to work work through that uh, as best we can. Um, and the more of us that can understand this, obviously, the better, right? It's not a this is not a female leadership is not a an issue for women, right? Female leadership is an yeah. issue for everybody. It's, it's, you know, because as you said, yeah. if we all pass the ball, the team gets better, right? So, um, yeah, sure. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm going to remember that. Thank yeah, that's much. that's great. So thank you very much for for your time, and hopefully we'll we'll have a chance to talk to you in the future about um you know your ongoing work um and uh, and the progress that's being thank being made. Um, we should put our two daughters you, on I a podcast enjoyed. and let them have a chat and see what yeah. what an eleven year old and a seven year old <laughs> yeah. is thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So thank you very much indeed, and uh, and uh, thank you for your for your time and, and and your deep insights. This has been this has been really fascinating. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. It's my pleasure. Thank you.